Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James, and each week I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm speaking with Barbara Thompson, who is a learning experience architect and a respected figure in the world of L&D. In this episode, we discuss Barbara's experience in innovation and transformation of L&D, although she doesn't like those terms, and what we should all be thinking about as well as doing to innovate and transform our own practice. So let's get into it. Barbara, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thanks, David. I'm so excited to be here. Now, Barbara, you've been working in roles that relate to learning, innovation and transformation since 2007. Mm -hmm. So you know about the hope, the opportunities, perhaps the resistance and sometimes the rejection of change when it comes to L&D. So being on the front line of innovation and transformation, you must really believe there's a better future for us to craft. Am I right? Absolutely. Otherwise, I wouldn't keep on uh, <laughs> going ahead. Um, but but what's quite interesting, I don't particularly like either of those terms. Mm-hmm. I think they're wholly misunderstood and somewhat diluted. And I, I think that we have become obsessed with everything being transformative mm-hmm. and, and uh, innovative. And of course, everything isn't. So that's where I'm going to start. <laughs> I, I think that uh, I, I don't think that could be a better place for you to start. I think that I've had a view for a while that we look for innovative solutions rather than stuff that works a lot of the time. Uh, and transformation can simply be, well, it, I think it's all relative, isn't it? That some people might be introducing e-learning into their organisation for the first time and it might be transformative for them. And again, I think that dilutes the dilutes the word, but perhaps that's a good place to start. And as much as you dislike uh, the transformation, I wonder with your experience and, um, uh, and your keen eye on this for so long, what what does transformation mean in L&D? So it's a great question. So I'm going to answer it from a personal perspective. Mm. And for me, if we're using sort of the language of innovation and transformation, what I think it should include is looking, rating, looking at the operating model, mm. looking at the construct of the team, looking at, um, looking at governance, um, looking at how you're positioned. So in some instances, I appreciate this won't be for everyone, but in some instances, you're not considered a cost centre, you're considered someone that, a team that brings value to the organisation. Mm. Um, uh, and also looking at how technology can support all of the ambition that you're doing. So it's a, across the, the piece. But I what I've seen from uh, both kind of in-house roles and kind of working with clients is that there, as you've pointed out, there's kind of different levels of maturity, and that's for a variety of reasons, mm. because of legacy systems, money, um, kind of security implications for, for some things, um, and, and so accept that people are at different starting points. But the suggestion around innovation transformation seems to come back to, let's implement an LMS. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of slightly dangerous uh, uh, waters for us to be in if we, that's what we consider innovation. Mm. Because a lot of the time it could mean the opposite. When you buy the technology before you've determined the direction you want to go in, you actually start looking for problems to solve with your technology rather than the problems that need solving with the right tools and approach as you've outlined. Uh, absolutely that. And and I kind of get it if you're coming from a, a place where perhaps um, classroom is the predominant uh, method that you're using and therefore uh, people want to say, well, actually, let me look for a more blended approach and therefore, you know, it could be seen as a natural reaction to go for LMS. But 
there there are other things that you could be doing potentially in parallel mm. or or even before you kind of get there. And my central uh, point that I kind of really want people to understand is that unless you understand the business that you're in, the friction, and and I love that um, many years ago I kind of grasped onto that word that you said, and I think you was kind of one of the first people that described it as that. Mm. But the friction that people have, the challenges that people have. And understanding the narrative of learning, um, then just kind of implementing anything um, is, is going to not really drive you to where you need to be. Now, we've already touched on it already that, that perhaps just popping an LMS in and, uh, and thinking that's tra- transformational isn't the case. But what else doesn't this mean in the context of learning and development? So um, so that that's kind of one, one, one big one. Another one that seems to be sort of quite in vogue is that you know let's let's kind of develop an app um what else is there um let's rebrand the l and d team yeah um so th- those are sort of quite quite common themes in and around um innovation and and kind of transformation and not really kind of fully un- understanding kind of what's happening at the coalface it's such, such superficial changes absolutely that, that, that a lot of the time and what I see from learning and development. Um, usually on social media rather than in-house, but I think it does as well, is that you change the name of what you're doing, but you don't change the practice. The rebrand is more important. It's almost the, the style over substance that really matters. But for me, it, a lot of it is because we we don't know what what we're doing, what we could be doing. Is that is that what am I right? Is that an assumption, a wrong assumption? I, I think that I think that's definitely the the majority of the of the situation. Some of it is that people are stuck mm. um, because you know infrastructure doesn't allow them to sort of do the things that they want to do. Um, they're taking a bit of a battering by their organisation because of what people think about learning. Um, perhaps people haven't invested in their own skills and development and and mindset crucially to sort of think about what what else to do. Um, and there has been an explosion of tools that people can use and, and people have become slightly terrified by, oh my goodness, we've got mixed reality, we've got AI, um, we've got 360 videos and, and some of that is sort of driving some of the inertia and the fear as well. There's so much stuff out there and yeah, I hear that, that, that you don't even know where to start, mm. where you're looking. But again, if you're looking for the solution before you really understand the problem, then you're just going to end up down the same old rabbit hole that... that that we find ourselves down so often. Agree, absolutely agree. So, so if I'm an L and D manager or a head of, and I oversee a suite of courses and an LMS full of e-learning, the courses are mainly full, but we don't get too many hits on the LMS unless it's mandatory. So, not an uncommon situation. Yeah. What should I be thinking about? Yeah, uh, excellent question, and it's a familiar story, I think, for for many. So. We, when I worked in house, we used a tea, we use a term called honeybees, and uh, sort of think about it in the in the kind of the natural sense is that you'll sort of go out, sort of looking for honey, and sort of bring it back, and and the rest of it. So I think for me, it's around understanding the actual problems that people are having. Mm. So that sort of dynamic that you described is not going to go away. You know, that kind of catalogue thing will probably exist for a little little while. But aside from that, what are the challenges that people are having? So one of the um, to give you a practical example. Um, we engaged with the IT team and mm-hmm. said, give us a sense of what people are calling the help desk for. Yeah. And 
what was quite interesting at that time, we were going through the process of implementing um, the MS Office suite and and Link. And majority of the calls I had to use Link mm. as an example. So we thought, okay, let's kind of create some how-to videos. And what was quite interesting is when we we created um, a a platform uh, which some people in, in the industry might know um, it's called called the Hub. The channel for that was actually one of the most used videos. So when you talk about real utility, enabling people to do their job in a more effective way, because you're taking out some of the stress of spending 20, 50 minutes or whatever, just trying to get said thing working, that was something that was kind of a real... Um, a real uh, enabler for for productivity. So, but the, the the key thing is here that we didn't sit and wait for anyone to bring that to us. We went out to go and look for it, and yeah. I think that was one of the things that people can do because you don't need money to do that. Mm. You don't need people's permission to do that either. But you're not looking for training needs either. No. You're you're talking with business people about their biggest concerns. So, I mean that, that I think that's in pursuit of friction i think that's that's absolutely key that if if we're having conversations with with our business leaders and with our colleagues about what they are trying to achieve and what might be getting in the way mm. that's a that's a good point rather than perhaps trying to trying to pull together all of the 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 training needs which would be aggregated to a point of abstraction a lot of the time uh, take creating standardized programs that bear little semblance to the actual need mm-hmm. and then bringing people together and personalizing it only with a question at the beginning what do you hope to learn as a result of this which again it's it's taking further and further and further away from the actual performance and creating more and more and more work for them to translate what's been experienced and transfer back to the workplace so yeah i mean what you said <laughs> absolutely what you said and I think what was quite interesting is um, there was a phrase that really kind of stuck with me it wasn't necessarily aimed at learning I think it was actually uh, kind of in the marketing sense but this kind of pray and spray mm. approach is, is how I would characterise what you what you said and I think in those instances, things become much further and further and further away from the realities of what people are doing in their day jobs and, mm. and that's kind of slightly worrying which is probably why we spend more time thinking about and talking about learning yeah. than we actually do with performance. Mm-hmm. But um, looking at transformation again, I keep coming back to this word. I think even at the outset you said you don't like <laughs> I don't it. don't like it. <laughs> transformation L&D for mm. me means rethinking everything mm-hmm. from understanding what we should be working on, our use of data, the engagement with those we wish to influence, the types of solutions we employ, our whole perception of digital and how we demonstrate our value. So, I mean, if you if we take a look at um, successful transformations elsewhere or disruptive transformation elsewhere, if we take a look at uh, Amazon, Amazon haven't just created a really nice shop front to sell warehouses full of, of stuff. Mm-hmm. They've figured out what you are really trying to do when you recognise there's a gap that you, that you need something and you'd quite like it tomorrow. Yeah. ASOS is another example of that as well. It's not so much a shopping app, it's a lifestyle yeah. app. And Spotify as well. Instead, whilst everybody else is trying to find ways of helping to, uh, to helping you to buy the music that you want, Spotify are looking and thinking, do you want to buy it or do you just want to listen to it? So they all go to the very crux mm. of what an individual is trying to do. Learning and development a lot of the time are trying to find better ways of delivering learning, which is the record shop, which is House of Fraser. Sorry, House of Fraser, if you're listening, <laughs> um, which is which is any other old established model 
that has so much vested in the old way that they can't see or don't wish to disrupt a successful business model. Um, they can't see what or, or recognise what the individual actually wants. Now, does transformation mean that we're going to have to rip it all up and start from scratch? Uh, I think it's con contextual. I don't think it's ripping up everything, but I think it is just kind of sitting, stepping back and thinking, what what do we have here? Because, you know, it's an old saying, but, you know, what worked yesterday is not going to work today. Yeah. And whether we like it or not, the disruption is unprecedented um, across every single sector, um, you know, uh, banking in particular are, are, are taking a bit of a hit. If you think traditional banking, that is, you know, their model has been tremendously disrupted with mm. the likes of Monzo, Revolut, etc. And, you know, in many instances, I think good on them mm. because from a customer's perspective, it's given us a choice. It's given us the freedom. We can open banks, you know, within moments rather mm. than going through the torturous, you know, paper trail um, experience. So if we think that L&D won't be subject to any change and we don't want to change, then, you know, we're going to be in tricky waters because mm. we have to, because um, we have to um, to support the businesses that we're in um, and we have to to support the agility that's required in many, many organisations and companies and, and, and in pursuit of customer experience, um, which is what, you know, is a holy grail for, for many organisations, whether you're SMEs right the way through to enterprises, you have to equip your workforce mm. with the mindset, behaviours, tools, all of the things that you've mentioned in order to give them the customer experience. If we don't, then the companies die. Mm. It's just as simple as that. But you know, as I do, that that more, more than just learning and development, there are so many other stakeholders who have something vested in the current way of doing things. There are HR departments uh, and HR directors who create the job descriptions that are all about the delivery and maintenance of the learning function of, of learning assets and, and programs. There are stakeholders who keep on asking for training. They know that it's not really going to um, do what they're asking for it to do. They believe it's a reward. People feel good about being nominated for training, perhaps the time away from work. Vendors quite like it the way it is because mm -hmm. they get paid in days and yeah, sometimes no, you can almost say there's a cartel there. Yeah, keeping things as they are. Are we going? Are we realistically reaching a tipping point? And what do you think that will be? Oh goodness me! First of all, I love the expression about cartel. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's very relatable, and it and it feels somewhat untouchable. Mm. Um, I think. You know, I need to implore, you know, people like you sort of bringing these kind of weighty, gritty subjects, you know, with with definitely not to be just provocative, but to mm. kind of affect change. So I've been sort of toying with this kind of thought, you know, for, for a couple of years because um, I've kind of thought about it in the same way as you. Mm. Quite frankly, if we continue on as a function in the same way, then... The, the line, the front line, because I, I don't like to say the business because we're part of the business, mm. but but the front line will we'll just kind of do things that, that their own, you yeah. know, do them themselves because, you know, they might they might do even do a better job than, than what we're doing. And in answer to your question about can we do it, I, I'm not, I, I hope so. Yeah. Um, I hope so. But I think that the model of learning will need to change so it will be less focused on just a slew of content mm. that we chuck out into the system and more about how do we join the dots? How do we provide the value? How do we support productivity? Um, how do we support that friction? And we will have to be much more on the front foot of going to 
to do those things. Now, now we don't need permission to do that. I, mm. I kind of gave you a use case of when we want, to, when we can do it. But it strikes me as something that we will need to do in parallel with some of those activities that people love because of the expression that um, Nigel Harrison has coined, which is around the conspiracy of convenience mm. um, uh, for learning. So, so we know that there's a conspiracy there, right? And um, and 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 it will exist. But I think that what we need to do is this kind of dual track of going out and doing good quality work, let people people see that. And I think that what happens is it's a natural equation of trust when you mm. build up trust that you're actually solving problems and people invite you to you know to kind of support them so a bit of a, a long-winded response to that but um, I recognize completely what you're saying um, I don't think it's going to happen overnight um, I, I was hoping that would happen before now mm. and sort of 10 years later we're kind of in the same situation well we were talking just beforehand that uh, that, that Guy Wallace, um, the, who I hope to have on on this podcast in the in the near future, Yay. shared a uh, an article and within it a letter that he received from a friend and colleague from 1967. And when you read it, it it really is what we're talking about that should be. It should be uh, performance focused, not learning focused, and that that technology will be an, an enabler to this and all this stuff. It's the same stuff which can be dispiriting, but then. You know, not to not to go too far into the future here. I want to talk with Guy about what we can what we can actually do to to shift this. But but look, we've gone underground here. We're we're talking about cartels and conspiracies, <laughs> and uh, and I'm and I'm wondering if if our profession isn't ripe for disruption from outside of here. You know, in the same way as uh, Apple had nothing to do with music before introducing iTunes, but they had a vision that said that they believe you could have uh, all your uh, all your music in your pocket, which was a vision enough for them to to go and create it right under the nose of of Sony with their Walkman. Um, so, is there an opportunity for for disruptors to look and think, well, if they're just going to deliver programs, is there a way that we can use data mm-hmm. in order to to get close to uh, critical points of failure in the organisation? Show this to business leaders and say we can fix that, rather than perhaps this. I don't know this 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 act that we're playing out between learning and development and stakeholders that that learning interventions mm-hmm. and e-learning and and training are going to help. I think it's a really interesting subject, and and again, it's kind of something that's popped my mind, uh, come to my mind because if you think about example, um, you know, in industry for kind of critical failures, um, things that have happened which have got wider media attention and then what then ensues is um, quite rightly some kind of lessons learned and some kind of understanding. Mm. It it doesn't have to take someone from L&D to come and sort of bring that to the C-suite and someone just said, well, actually, here's some data that Mm. we've kind of found. This is kind of based on your industry, but then this is specifically you and here are some things that you might need to consider um, and here's some kind of future lens that you need to kind of consider. Hmm. They don't have to be from a learning team to actually bring that to, and probably they might have more gravitas at delivering that as well. Yeah. So, yes, if if we don't take this seriously within, we could absolutely be right for people sort of coming out. And uh, I'm, I'm personally not afraid of that. I think hmm. anything that kind of helps that narrative is, is kind of great, but um, it will be slightly challenging for us as a function. Let's just hope that it's not another 50 years somebody's writing <laughs> talking about this stuff. Save the podcast. <laughs> um, 
look, there's one side talking about what uh, what needs to change, but it's another one highlighting what what's already going well. Yeah. And I'd love to explore some examples. You know, even even just in a in a in isolation where you've seen good practices of successful transformations, even small ones. Um, I mean, for example, Sky for me mm. are, are a shining light in this. The way that um, they have pivoted from uh, what would be seen from the outside as much more traditional to something that's laser focused on solving problems mm -hmm. that use data um, to first ensure that, that there is a real problem to solve then running in agile sprints and agile not just in moving fast but working with and for the client to run experiments mm -hmm. and then deliver a minimum valuable product as they call it mvp and mm -hmm. um, put it in the hands of the people who need it to make sure it works before scaling it so all of that stuff you're thinking and the, you know they're moving at pace they're getting real results mm. they've got credibility within their organization it's it's relentless but successful mm. i think that that's one shining example of uh, of of where a transformation uh, is sustainably working mm. over now nearly three years i mean what have you seen that that you'd use an, as an example of a successful transformation first of all it's a great example and and also you're right to um provoke some balance because uh, mm. obviously there are really good pockets of work that's happening in the industry so by definition uh, transformation takes time and sometimes i'm not there throughout the duration um to sort of see it all all you know all unfolding um but but there are a couple of organizations that i want to sort of cite that i've had some insight into uh, one of which I can't name, but um, one is um, Citibank. Mm -hmm. And um, many of the people listening might be familiar with uh, Brian Murphy, um, who, with his with his team, did some really good work about sort of thinking about learning in a much more engaging way. Um, so they sort of ran campaigns and really engaged with people in a much more kind of emotional context rather than very transactional, kind of subservient way. And took some really good re results in getting people to think about learning in a much more holistic way it's part of the dna get people excited um, and i think that's really good foundations that they've created for you know that transformation to kind of continue mm. another is, is kind of santander uh with uh, uh rob ashcroft and his team doing some really stellar stuff um and really just introducing concepts of kind of playbooks and just mm. really again just making it less about kind of dumping content you know on mass on people but really giving people what they need and embracing uh, agile as well absolutely yeah. and and to your point not about a process but from a mindset um uh, uh perspective as well and you know this kind of whole notion of kind of test and iterate so mm. uh, so those are two examples I've, I've got I've got two more one of which I can't name but it's in kind of in the defense and security sector um, I happen to be doing some work with them a couple of years ago and like I said at the, the kind of the top of the podcast they looked at a very holistic picture for transformation so not just about content but about how do you re reduce abstraction from people who are doing kind of frontline um you know, really, really poignant stuff that's kind of saving the nation mm. um, is a little, little bit of a clue. Um, and really think about operating model, um, the learning development team, um, how do they kind of cross-charge for things, uh, governance and, and a whole range of things. So no stone was left unturned. And for me, that kind of epitomizes kind of true transformation. And then another, um, which might be kind of slightly odd um, in terms of what I'm saying but I think retail is so I spent my formative years in retail mm. and whilst um, obviously the kind of focus on the customer I quite like the low level ways in which they do something to really good effect so mm. 
So when I was working there, I don't know if it's kind of changed slightly, but we had what we called like a blue, um, Hill Street Blues moment. And, and for those that are kind of slightly older, uh, sorry, younger, I mean, um, it was sort of a, a kind of almost like a scrum. Let's yeah. Possibly that's the best way to describe it, but a little kind of morning scrum. This is what we need to do. Um, this is what we're kind of working with. It's kind of hot day. So, you know, the ambient stuff and the kind of chill stuff are going to have some impact, but really just focusing the mind. And then, of course, you've kind of got data that comes from the barcode. Mm-hmm. So people are able to pivot and move with that data driving the decision. So let's kind of drive much more sales here and um, just really arming people with what they needed to do their jobs. Um, admittedly, back then, it was much more kind of paper-driven, but it was really, really focused. And I, I think that's a kind of a shining example of actually, you know, just give people what they need and not overwhelming them. Mm. So it was kind of a variety of, of kind of things there. But, um, uh, yeah, if we could do more of the same with those organisations that we've talked about. Now, people might be listening to this and then thinking, well, that's that's well in advance of where I am. I, I neither have the inclination or the skills or perhaps the currency in my organisation mm. uh, to do this. Um, towards the end of the podcast, I'm going to ask you for, for, for some tips. Um, but before we do, and we're not quite there yet, um, I want to understand some of the pitfalls that you're seeing in attempts to transform because I think that there are probably more less successful examples than there are the those that we've mm. that we've been talking about of those five that we are fully aware of mm. um so what are the pitfalls that you're seeing in attempts to transform l and d so uh, I think actually surprisingly one of them is actually telling people that you're transforming mm-hmm. um because it sets an expectation when people may or may not have a view about learning and inevitably the expectation will not be met um so so that's one which might sound odd but it's one um the other is not working in an in an agile way Mm -hmm. so you'll be doing this stuff under you know under the radar pop up and um kind of expect everyone to kind of get behind it um so so that's another um somewhat linked to that um i know that you and i can talk at length about kind of ux but ux is misunderstood i think in in learning in mm-hmm. fact the way that people talk about it's typically to do with ui user interface mm-hmm. um rather than user experience uh, absolutely yeah. and uh, essentially kind of doing the work doing the work and not engaging with people and then when you know you're you're kind of starting to kind of socialize the kind of the transformation innovation those words um (laughs) then uh people are not kind of they're not bought into it at all Mm. um and uh an actual fact let me kind of share a a story so i was working on um an in-house assignment for for global graduates and I was developing an app uh, a web app and um, I was using the beautiful imagery on, on on Unsplash and then I sort of took it to go and test uh, they said that the you know the essence of it works, works really well it will really kind of help us um, didn't like the imagery had no resemblance whatsoever to the organization um, and you know for probably about two or three minutes the ego was slightly bruised but actually that's exactly what we need to do we need to kind of test it and and kind of iterate because if you just sort of did that sort of grand reveal and then they kind of launched it with all the bells and whistles that we do then then that would be kind of slightly problematic um, so there's kind of agile there's um, kind of saying we're going to transform you yeah. uh, which doesn't uh, <laughs> doesn't go down well um, I already mentioned from the start is kind of using the kind of notion of said platform mm-hmm. as the the thing for transformation 
Um, and, and I think there's also something about not taking the time to understand where the organisation is. Mm. Um, so, you know, for me, one of the key um, enablers, not not the sole one, but the key enablers for transformation and innovation is the leadership team. What do they think about learning? Yeah. Um, what would they like from learning? Um, and I'm not talking about it in a kind of a fluffy way. How is that going to support driving their business, you know, their areas of the business forward and 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 kind of reaching the, the markets that they want to? But really sitting down and having quite an adult conversation with them. But whether we do or not, I don't, I don't think that we kind of always understand what are the disruptive forces. And we already talked about that mm. so that we're enabled, we're, we're positioned to go in and have that conversation. So we might say we're going to transform. We go and speak to a leader and they say, well, well, well actually kind of what you're doing to help drive the business forward. Yeah. So those are some some things that are, are kind of front of mind. Um, yeah, I could go on. But I think that those those are some of the, the key things that I've seen. And unfortunately, what it does is um, it means that people have to go all the way back um, rather than perhaps if they kind of did it at stealth and not kind of celebrate too early, yeah. which kind of goes against the grain, I know, for those kind of change practitioners out there. But, um, yeah. I think those are, those are all incredibly solid. And I think that uh, that if if our listener hasn't cringed at least once, <laughs> <laughs> I cringed a couple of times myself. Thinking, I did myself. <laughs> yeah, the, the, that whole trans, transformative thing. I, I on, on reflection... You know, I think I've been involved with with running transformative programs before, selling and pitching them yeah, as transformative. Absolutely, the only people transformed in that were the learning and development team. Yeah. We were transformed because we had a hell of a lot less budget to play with afterwards, and we knew scripts off by heart. But everybody else had had a one and done experience, and we told them it was transformative. <laughs> yeah, and they, and they were literally with us a day, and nothing changed. Yeah, uh, but anyway, uh, I think I'll go back to therapy for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about the skills. When you were talking now, I, I was thinking it's one thing to to gain buy-in from leadership mm. about a transformation again i'm using transformation inverted commas here um it's one thing to gain the permission the buy-in from leadership but there's also something about leadership required in learning and development to create a vision mm-hmm. for learning and development that delivers those results and performance in a way that's both expected and rewarded by the organization mm-hmm. drives the organization forward not just from a bottom line perspective mm-hmm. but perhaps in some of those intangibles in the way that that people feel about um the organization both internally as employees and as um, I was going to say as prospects, but then mm. even as consumers, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps that you know the, the way that, that an organisation behaves um, towards its people, I think has a has a wider impact. But but learning and development requires that leadership to create a vision mm-hmm. um, to say that things will be better because, and then explain that 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 we can achieve X by doing this. Personally, I think leadership is one of the skills that that needs to be developed, probably more than more than others in uh, in learning and development. But I wonder what your what, what your views are. If we are going to transform in in inverted commas, what skills do you think are missing that need now to be in learning and development? Yeah, echo echo all of that. And leadership could be the subject of a whole other podcast, David. <laughs> um, so, as I reflect, I'm going to kind of use my own sort of personal journey. Um, as kind of part of that as well. So I think that one of the things that is missing, and this is where you get the narrative around kind of the order taker, is kind of performance consulting or any Mm. kind of consulting. So, you know, going in and having really good quality conversations. And and let me be empathetic here because, Mm. you know, I I still have the same. Sometimes it's bloody difficult, um, excuse me for saying that, because 
um, there, there is something about learning which everyone feels that they're the experts in. Yeah. And that's really interesting because you don't necessarily get that from marketing. You don't necessarily get that from finance. But what's quite interesting, if we consider this from a psychological perspective, is we've all gone through a learning construct from school, yep. university, perhaps for some of us, and, and obviously in the workplace. And what's quite interesting is that if you have poor experiences, they will absolutely um, inform some of your thinking. So that's why everyone thinks that they're an expert in learning. So that way we need to kind of show up in a very different way mm-hmm. um, to how some of us uh, are doing. So there's something around kind of performance consulting, a good quality consulting conversation. Um, so that's one of them. I think there's something about... Again, you would know this full well. My sweet spot is UX. And I think there's just a recognition of, I always say, who are you designing for? Because it isn't us. Let's make that absolutely clear. We're not designing for ourselves. So therefore, we need to sort of take ourselves out of the bubble about preferences and um, where we feel comfortable and whatever and get out and understand um, the the challenges that, that the people are having. And uh, so, so that's kind of UX um, as as an overall philosophy, um, because obviously uh, UX is quite a sort of a, a deep subject in itself. There's something um, more broadly around understanding that the business that you're in. Mm-hmm. So, for me, I just feel that there was only a very few occasions when I worked in house that you know a, a member of the C-suite kind of walked past me and I could have a conversation. But it is ridiculous to suggest that if if someone walks past you that they're going to be interested in the scores on the happy sheet Mm -hmm. what they are interested in by and large and and this is you know if you go and kind of search google and 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 find out what kind of the c-suite we're worried about is that do we have the people in the organization that are equipped to be able to do their job to kind of drive the business forward so going in and talking about the number of hits on lms course or you know, we've got 90% of this and we've got number four on the happy sheet. It's not a conversation that anyone's going to be interested in. So you need to understand the language of the business, um, understand what are the pressing issues Mm -hmm. um, that is happening in the business. And then there should be some correlation to the work that we're doing and having that good quality conversation again. Um, So so there's that. And um, also, I think it's it's some of it is around kind of perseverance mm. um, because if we subscribe to the notion of, of you know, agile ways of working, then some, some things won't work. And, th- yeah. and that's absolutely fine. Um, th- that's absolutely fine. And, you know, if you're able to kind of test and iterate early, then, you know, you're not kind of sinking in lots of cost and time resource in that. And I think the sort of the final thing that's front of mind is, for me, there's a kind of a moral compass. If we say we work in learning, we should epitomise that. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that, I mean that we should be self-directed in our approach. Um, we should be curious. Um, and, and all of those other things that we kind of expect and we sort of might scoff at in terms of the workforce aren't doing that when we're kind of doing our solutions. We have to embody that and we need to show up as that. Yeah. And and the reason I'm saying that is that I, I hear conversations where people are quite entrenched that I I, I do training in the classroom or I, I, I write um, scripts for, for kind of e-learning or I or develop apps and whatever. And whilst we might have some intrinsic um, association with that, nobody cares outside of learning about that. What they care about is that you can offer up solutions um, and and things that's going to help them in much the same way as us as consumers. We don't really care where we go to shop 
It's mm. just provide me an omnichannel experience. And dependent on my need and my context, I might go down to the high street to touch and feel and, and make sure that that's the right quality for me. I might order online. Mm. But, but nobody cares about, and this does exist, no one cares about the infighting that takes place between you know um, people who market the shops or who market online, mm-hmm. as well as people don't care about who designs e-learning or, or, or digital interventions or all kind of classrooms. So I think we kind of need to stop that yeah. and consider a value chain of propositions. And, and that's the kind of space that I think that we should be stepping into. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you said there. And I throw data into the mix data, as well. Data, of course, of and course. And I know that data scientist, is, I think, is currently the the, the most sought-after set of skills in the first world. Wow. Um, uh, I think according to, to LinkedIn recently. So mm. whilst the there probably isn't a, a high uh, proliferation of, uh, of, of people with those skills, I think it's something that we need to look at. And not, not from a... Um, a way that we look at data at the moment, which is trying to justify expenditure mm-hmm. and whether something had the intended result, but going right back to should we be working on it in the first place? Is it a real problem or are we taking orders? Are, are we acting off of gut instinct uh, or minimal observation? And and actually, that's a really good point because that is where we kind of sharpen our skills and and able to have quality conversations mm. so if you're able to be in the front foot and sort of say well actually here is something the data is telling us this um and and so therefore we would like to invest in x that's going to allow you to to sit in that space and, and hold that space opposed to be on, on the back foot and 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 not not even have those conversations with senior people okay barbara what about if if i said well the old way has survived up until now <laughs> How can I be sure that transformation is worth the investment of time, money, effort, and potentially my credibility in my organisation? Why bother? (laughs) It's a Friday and you're throwing some gritty stuff at me, David. Um, You know, let's be honest that there are some people that will be in that space Obviously, uh, you know me personally, I just don't subscribe to that. And I'll come right the way back to the comment I made about who we're we designing for. Mm-hmm. If we're designing for ourselves, we'll kind of crack on. We can yeah. have that view, but we're not designing for ourselves. We're designing for people who, we're designing for the workforce, who in order to be able to do their job properly, are kind of somewhat reliant on us. And, and actually, if they don't get it, not actually if they don't get it, they're already self-serving. Mm. Um, so if we don't support and enable and facilitate on all of those really good things, then quite frankly, what are we doing? Yeah. So that that's that's number one. And and you made the the good point earlier that that actually people might come and eat our lunch. Um, and as we come to the end of the podcast, Barbara, what should heads of L and D be thinking about? and perhaps more importantly, doing now to transform? I think there are a couple of things. And obviously, you know, it's doing this by stealth for sure, um, uh, rather than trying to bite off everything. Mm-hmm. For me, I think one of the, the critical things is to understand how learning is perceived within the organisation, mm-hmm. because then that gives you the platform to think about how do you pivot and move and demonstrate value. So mm-hmm. for me, so it's having some good quality conversations with different levels across the organisation. I think that would be a great place to start. I think the other thing is to to do some things 
um, which demonstrate value and and then tell people about it. So you and I, um, I had the, the good fortune to be on a um, panel with you mm-hmm. um, and I see you at a PD conference a couple of years ago. And one of the things that I said um, actually has gained some traction in that I think one of the things that L&D can absolutely do is to fix search. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't sound particularly groundbreaking, but the amount of times that I search enterprise systems to look for things and then things are returned and they're either broken, they're like 10 years out of date, if you even find it at all, the amount of time and effort that's expended to do that is just kind of a complete and utter waste of time. So I think if they can develop some kind of partnership um, with, you know, kind of IT and other, and other um, areas of the business and kind of just try and fix that, that would be a, kind of a really good start. Um, but what's quite crucial to that, and again, I'm very happy to share lessons learned. I remember tagging some, some content to, um, with a tag of capability development and then surprised that people couldn't find it. And then... Um, I had the common sense to kind of ask people if they knew what that meant. And of course they didn't because it's a language that's, that's not even spoken outside of L&D. Yeah. So if you do that, make sure that you engage with the workforce and understand the kind of syntax and the, and the way that they would naturally kind of search for those. So that, that's a little bit of a lesson there. Um, so um, engage with people to understand what L&D is so that you can understand, you know, um, where your baseline is. Fix search, please. Um <laughs> And there is something about just really looking inwards, looking at your team and looking at the constructs and really asking if um, the skills that you and and the behaviours and mindset you have today are going to enable you to kind of do the things that you want to do. So I'm not advocating getting rid of people, but really having conversations about where are the gaps. Mm. Um, And, you know, you could kind of do benchmarking with kind of other organisations or kind of think about the kind of the future skills, but really look and see if you're mobilised and ready, both mindset and skill set, to be able to kind of take on said transformation and innovation. So those are a couple of things. Wonderful. And Barbara... How can people follow you if they want to on social and perhaps how can they get in touch? Thank you. Um, so unhelpfully on Twitter, my name isn't easy to find. So Carib, C-A-R-I-B Thompson and um, on LinkedIn as, as my name. So those are the two main channels. Wonderful. And we'll put links in the show notes as well. Thank Barbara, you. it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. What an important conversation. Barbara's vision and experience is something we can all be inspired by to move things more quickly in the right direction. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now. <laughs>